Acts chapter 11 and verse 23, speaking of Barnabas, that man full of the Holy Ghost, when he was come to Antioch of Syria, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Your heart is at your disposal. You can purpose in your heart to be the best Christian in here. I live wanting you to be the best Christian in here. I'll be second if you'll be first. I want you to be the best. I want you to give yourself to Christ. I want you to choose His cause and commit yourself to it no matter the cost. It shocks me what cost discourage people. Who cares about relatives? Who cares about family? Jesus didn't. Who cares about children? Who cares about parents? Who cares about siblings? It doesn't matter. They're irrelevant. You won't even have your spouse in heaven. It's all going to be ripped away. But he'll be there. And he is everything in that place. He's the light and the glory of that place. Let's not be moved by anything. Let's be willing to pay the cost of discipleship. Because that's what today's about. I have a few minutes. I've only got 32 now. 32 minutes about discipleship. To be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ means you give him your heart and you purpose in that heart that you will cleave unto the Lord. That means you'll stick to him like glue and you'll never be moved away and no one's going to be able to pry you away with a crowbar. Try it. I don't care if I lose all of you. I don't care if I lose my wife and all of my family in comparison to him. And I've taught my wife to think the same way. So children, don't think you can run to her after you turn from me. She'll turn you away too. And I want all the women to be great women. I'm shocked at times about the great women we have in our church and the weak women that we have outside our church that are moved by the little events of life, the expected events of life, the normal events of life. Sickness and death and dying, they're normal. They're part of life. Cleave unto the Lord. Stick to Him. Don't move away. Don't let anyone pry you away. Everything in this world, from my first words until now, when I, when I introduced this service, is to try to unglue you from Him. There's an angelic warfare to unglue you from Him. They operate out of your sight. We're to take the whole armor of God and to be able to stand in the evil day when they come after us. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for a weak Christian. He's looking for a Christian that has a little bit of grudge in his heart. When the Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices, do you know what the device is? The device is an an unforgiven offense of another. The device is holding a grudge and bitterness against someone else. The devil loves that because that's what he used with Cain to kill Abel. And that's what he's done ever since. The Jews killed Jesus out of envy. The world hates the Lord Jesus Christ. Your flesh hates the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus will put you to sleep as fast as reading the Bible. The Bible's the cure for insomnia. It's always been the best cure for insomnia. Do you know why? Because you still have a body of flesh. And the flesh hates Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, Jesus, the Son of God. Cleave unto the Lord. Let's stick to Him. 
Recent preaching over the last couple of weeks has been about Jesus, the Son of God, and His Lordship. I've reminded you about the parable of the sower in recent weeks and the eight C's that drive and sustain people. And the last three are the only ones that count. Commitment to the cause of Christ. And let me add this, at any cost. At any cost. Because Jesus knew that the real cost of discipleship is you giving up things for Him. That's giving up a spouse giving up a family, giving up children, giving up the things I've already mentioned, giving up riches, giving up progression, giving up a a professional trajectory, giving up things in order to follow Christ more perfectly. It's the cost of discipleship, and God will arrange it that there is a cost involved so that you can prove that you're a real disciple. Because if you don't pay, you don't get in. You don't have the evidence of being a child of God. Children of God pay, and they pay gladly. And they'll pay any price. The martyrs paid, and they they considered their lives nothing. They were glad to lay down their lives. If Jesus is the Son of God and Lord of all, as the Bible teaches, then we should love and obey Him. If Christ's wars began immediately by the spirit of Antichrist, as I showed you last Lord's Day, then we have a war to fight to be faithful. If the warnings about Demas forsaking Paul because he loved the present world and the churches at Ephesus and Laodicea becoming lukewarm and losing their first love are real warnings, we need to be zealous and we need to remind each other to be zealous. If the deceitfulness of sin is as bad as the Bible declares it is and can harden us so much that we'll depart from the living God, then we need to warn ourselves and exhort each other daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and so depart from the living God. We do not worry about desertions to Islam or Mormonism in our church. We'll happily, listen, I personally will buy your ticket to Mecca (laughs) if you want to desert to Islam. I'll buy it even before we get to exclude you. And we will celebrate the day we do it. But we're not worried about that. What I'm worried about is for you and me, if riches increase. Because we're in America. We're in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And success and riches and prosperity and a pampered lifestyle are so within our reach. To anybody that wants to work, only those that refuse to work don't have it. Anyone else can have it. It's like walking up to low-hanging fruit in a tree and just picking it and eating it. And so it's a temptation for us. And these are the perilous times of the last days that we're in. The context of Acts chapter 11, it has 30 verses. The first 18 verses are Peter answering for his high treason of preaching the gospel to Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 at the household of Cornelius. High treason for a Jew to preach truth to a Gentile and to go into his house. And so he was called on the carpet for it, and he had to give an explanation. Do you know that Cornelius is in the Bible three times? You may think he's in the Bible once. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the live report. That's the live report. Acts chapter 11 is Peter having to give an account for it. And in Acts chapter 15, Peter has to give an account for it again. Because this was a huge change. But the change kept growing. And thank the Lord it kept growing because you're part of it today. It did keep growing. And it grew here. And so the first 18 verses cover Peter going to Cornelius, but then in verse 19 it starts something new, and you've read it twice now. I think, he, I think half of you would be able to get up here and preach it. You've read it twice. It's not that complicated. It's verse 23 that we want. 
And we want the last part of verse 23. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. I remember growing up, going to Bob Jones University and going to revivals where you had two options to go forward. Well, let's say three. You could get saved. And you could do it again if you weren't sure. Oh, thank you for that one. I did it one million times. Two, you can go forward and get baptized. Three, you can go forward and re rededicate yourself. You know, I'm not going to ask you to come forward and get down and kneel up here at the platform, but I am asking you to rededicate yourself, to recommit yourself, to purpose in your heart that you will cleave unto the Lord and that you'll never leave him. If he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And let's say what Peter said and mean it. Peter meant it. Jesus turned Peter over to Satan, who wanted to sift him for a few hours. Peter said, if all other men forsake thee, I will never forsake thee. I'll go to prison, I'll even die for you. Peter meant it. Peter proved it. Didn't he? Jerry. Let's not let anyone or anything pry us away from him. If there's anything in your life that even tends toward prying, you are trying to get, wiggle, wiggle a screwdriver under your plywood. If it's just even trying to do that at all, crush the screwdriver, rip it out of the hand of whatever's doing it, and throw it away. Jesus would not use that illustration. He would say this, if your right hand offends thee, cut it off. If your right eye offends thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. That's how serious discipleship is. That's how serious it is, the decision you make in your heart this day that you're going to cleave to the Lord. In verses 19 through 21 of this chapter, verses 19 through 21, ordinary preachers preached to Grecians in Antioch of Syria. I don't have a map up here. Sometimes I show you maps. I want you to visualize Jerusalem near the Dead Sea with Israel running north and south at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. 300 miles north of Jerusalem, I told you last Sunday, 300 miles north of Jerusalem is Antioch of Syria. If you were to go to a map today, what nation lies north of Israel but Lebanon and Syria? 300 miles north. And remember, 300 miles west was a city that starts with A, Alexandria, Egypt. And right in the middle was Jerusalem. We get our two Bibles from those two cities. And you can choose Paul's home church or you can choose Origen's town of birth. Origen, right? Look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I want you to know what I mean by ordinary preachers. Were the apostles ordinary preachers? No. The apostles were exceptional preachers. In Acts chapter 7, which is a long chapter of 60 verses, who died? Stephen. Stephen died. Look at verse 8. Who was holding the coats when Stephen was stoned to death? Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed home. Ordinary preachers of the gospel exploded out of Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, that's Saul of Tarsus, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so Philip, who was a deacon, but also an evangelist, the Bible tells us he was an evangelist, went to Samaria. When it says went down to Samaria, he went north on the map, but he went down out of the altitude of Jerusalem, where he was a deacon, and preached in Samaria, and almost the whole city was converted. And so that's the start of it spreading. Remember what Jesus said? You're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea, the tribal area around Jerusalem, and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so they went. And look at Acts 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. See, I've just tied chapter 11 to chapter 8. I'm trying to help you understand the Bible. This is very simple. It's very exciting. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's Phoenicia. And Cyprus, that's a big island lying off the coast of Phoenicia or Syria. And Antioch, that's a city inland, a port city on a river, preaching the word of God, but unto the Jews only, to none, but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus. So some men were from that island of Cyprus that had been at Jerusalem, were now being driven north by persecution, and they're preaching in Phoenicia, which is the narrow strip of land along the Mediterranean Sea, and they're preaching in Cyprus, the island off the coast, and they're preaching in Antioch of Syria. Some of them were men of Cyprus, and some of them were men of Cyrene. Cyrene's a city of Libya, North Africa, the middle of the, of the African continent at the very top, at the Mediterranean Sea, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. Now these men, because they would have grown up in Cyprus, which was not Israel, and because they grew up in Cyrene, and, which was Libya, and Africa, and wasn't Israel, they had had dealings with Greeks before. So they'd have been comfortable with them. Unlike Peter, who lived in Capernaum and spent time in Jerusalem, so it was a little different. So they're so excited about the gospel, we're not to Acts 13 yet. You know, in Acts chapter 13, there's teachers in the church at Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are going to be there one year, and they're going to teach that church, and then the Lord's going to send them out to preach to Gentiles. Uh, remember the history. I went through the whole book for you with the different trips of Paul. And right now I'm sharing with you the excitement of this news right here that they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. These Jews that were from other parts, and these men that had grown up in Cyprus or grown up in Cyrene, now have the confidence to preach to some of these Greeks and Grecians that were in these cities. And they did. And look what the Lord said. Look what the Bible tells us in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for blessing the preaching of the gospel to us Gentiles. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Verses 22 through 24, Barnabas is sent up out of Jerusalem to check on this wild event taking place of Grecians being converted in large numbers of them. This is not some little household of, of, of Cornelius. This is a city being overwhelmed with con conversions. And so they sent him up there, 
who, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. What makes you glad? What makes you glad? It should be someone converting to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should be someone converting from a sin. It should be someone making a change in their life and growing in grace. That should make you glad more than anything else. The angels in heaven do not rejoice when you get a promotion. The angels in heaven do not rejoice when you peel the sticker off a new car. The angels in heaven do not care about your house. The angels in heaven do not care about that kind of junk. The angels in heaven do not care about the election in America. The angels in heaven can care about the conversion of souls. And so when Barnabas got there and saw the grace of God, how can you see the grace of God? Where is it? It's in changed lives. And there were Greeks that were confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. He knew they were going to be persecuted by their relatives. He knew they were going to lose their place in their religion. And so he, he exhorted them all. And I am exhort, I'm exhorting you today. 17 minutes. Don't worry. 17 minutes. Have you rededicated your life yet? Okay, i got to keep going. Verses 25 through 26. Verse 24 tells us a little bit about Barnabas. Do not, I corrected you, I corrected our church and I corrected your pastor. Where is he? Can't see him. I corrected your pastor and I corrected this church about Barnabas. You know, we've had some bad ideas about Barnabas because we don't like him. Because he had a falling out with Paul in Acts chapter 15, but uh, the Bible tells us a little bit more about Barnabas than just that one little event. And this is one of the statements about Barnabas that I want you to embrace. Do you remember that we got cleared up a little bit on Barnabas? For he was a good man, verse 24, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. When he arrived, things got even better. Was he an apostle? I got a tougher question for you. Was he part of the 12? <laughs> we'll just leave it. Look at 1414. 14. I want you to always think about the twin. The Bible uses the word 12. Sometimes it'll use 12 for different people and different numbers. Because how many tribes of Israel were there? Are you going to tell me 12? I'll tell you 14. At least. 14, 14. Which when the apostles, does your Bible say apostles? Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul. Okay, back to Acts chapter 11. Oh, we had a name change. We had some man get a name change in there. And Saul of Tarsus is now Paul. Because my Jesus can help anyone. My, your Jesus can save anyone. We never give up on anyone if they'll give us just a glimmer of hope that they love Christ. I'll give up on everyone gladly, cheerfully. Life is too short. My time is too valuable if you don't show me a glimmer of loving Christ because that's all that matters. We need to see the grace of God so that we can help it. Verses 25 and 26. Barnabas got Saul to help in Antioch. Look at verse 25. This is so exciting. It should be exciting to you. How did Barnabas know about Saul of Tarsus? Because he's the one that knew about what he had done at Damascus. So he told the church of Jerusalem. This is all in Acts chapter 9. 9. Barnabas had to go to the church of Jerusalem. They wouldn't let Paul join. Paul wanted to come in and join with them. That church said, are you kidding? You've killed half our relatives. 
You've put them in prison. You've made them blaspheme. And now you're trying to sneak into our church. And so they wouldn't take him. And so Barnabas had to come and confirm, listen, I've heard this man preach in Damascus, and he risked his life up there. But then the Jews in Jerusalem wanted to kill Paul, still Saul. So they took him down to Caesarea, put him on a ship, and sent him home to Tarshish. Now Barnabas knew that, and Barnabas sees, what in the world is going on here in Antioch? I'm going to go get my friend Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and the two of us together are going to build a church here in Antioch. And so they did. He went, to Bar- he went to Tarsus and got Saul, verse 25, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Amen. This is exciting stuff. Amen. Christian doesn't necessarily have to be a nice name. It's from the enemies aligning them with Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Christos of our religion little Christ, or followers of Christ, or disciples of Christ, meaning Christian. That suffix of I-A-N in English means a follower of or an adherent to Christ. We want to be known as Christians. We have said for a long time, wanting to help people understand who we are, what we are, we are Bible Christians in that order. Because without the Bible, we wouldn't even know about Christ. We're not Christians that read the Bible. We're Bible Christians. Because the Bible tells us how to be a Christian. The Bible tells us about Christ, as I said. This is so exciting to find this in verse 26. Verses 27 through 30 are not for today. They just tell you about true charity. It's for brethren. They took these bags of money sent by the hands of Barnabas and Paul past poor people, orphanages, brothels, shopping malls, churches, whatever kind, for 300 miles to get to Jerusalem. That's what it tells you. That's the lesson there. Oh, this is so... Then 12 is an interregnum. 12 is an interruption. 12 is Peter and Herod. 12 is Peter and Herod, except when you get to the last two verses. The last two verses of chapter 12, but the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And what was that ministry? Taking money because of Agabus the prophet about a dearth in the days of Claudius Caesar throughout the whole earth. So they did not care about people starving to death with no bread between Antioch and Jerusalem. They went from Antioch, Syria, 300 miles down to Jerusalem to deliver their money. When they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So while they're in town... They grabbed Barnabas's nephew, that's where nepotism comes from, grabbed John, Barnabas had a sister named Mary. The prayer meeting in 12 was at that house, and Mary had a son, and he was the nephew of Barnabas. And so the three of them take off. And then chapter 13 pops in. Chapter 13 is huge. And there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Lord said, listen, it's time to hit the Gentiles up big time. It's time. And I want Barnabas and Saul for this work. And so they fasted and prayed some more because this was huge. They're going to kick these two guys out. They have apostolic power. What miracle couldn't an apostle do? You want to try raise the dead? They could do that. They could raise the dead. What? 
They could do them all. Right. And you know from, I hope you know from Acts 13 where the Bible goes. We're right in the middle. We're in the transitional period of Acts chapter 11. He was glad. In spite of, in spite of Barnabas' gladness to see these converts in Antioch, he still pressed them. Do you understand that? The gospel has to press people. The gospel doesn't just say, do you love Jesus? Jesus is worthy of your love. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross. It's got to press men because everything we face in life, everything inside us, everything outside of us, is against us cleaving to Christ. And discipleship is cleaving to Him. Right. Discipleship is, I will go where... I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. It is God's providence, for those of you that want to know, because it's not my intelligence. It is God's providence that I gave and shared that song with you, and then I was introduced to Naga land of India. The headhunter tribes. That headhunter that converted, though none go with me, yet I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. That song is all about cleaving to Christ. I have nine minutes. What does it take to get you to commit your life to Jesus Christ for at any cost? For the cause of Him only. Right, right. That you will serve Him the way He describes in the Bible. Your idea of serving Christ is worth less than nothing. God and Christ and we do not care one bit. And let me emphasize, God and Christ do not care what you think religion is. They do not care what you think Christianity is. It is living for Jesus Christ the way the Bible describes. Right. And so Barnabas, he was glad, but glad doesn't mean let's go out to eat. Glad means he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord because there were going to be so many temptations and trials and things to pull them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he exhorted them to purpose in their hearts. Remember this morning's psalm. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. When you meet Christ and you follow Him, commit that you will follow Him and never turn back. Never turn back, no matter what the cost might be. I wish the cost was greater in America from one standpoint, after we read about our martyrs. However, I trust the Lord God of heaven that He's chosen a more difficult enemy for us. It's more subtle, it's more, it's more deceptive, and it's more alluring, and that's the prosperity of America. It's the perilous times of the last days. We can enjoy fables. We can just run around and have fun. We can be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I don't want you to be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I want you to be lovers of Christ more than any pleasure. I want you to be lovers of Christ more than any relative. Any goal that you have for your life. Anything. If you do not love Jesus Christ more than your spouse, you're not worthy of Him. Those are His words, not mine. I am not saying anything different than what the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And Barnabas understood that because Barnabas was an apostle and the apostles had been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas had seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ or he wouldn't have been an apostle. And so they preached what Jesus told them to preach. You know the word cleave? When you look at verse 23, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. That's to stick to him. We, we, we think of a meat cleaver. Because cleave in English can have two opposite meanings, to cut or hew in half and to divide something. Right. And it's in the Bible that way. 
But cleave also means what Adam did to Eve. And you would have thought there was glue. Mark your calendars. Adam cleaved unto his wife. And what does it say? They were one flesh. It looked like they were glued together. Yes. Use your eraser. Thank you, Lord. Cleave. Cleave unto the Lord. Stick to Him. If we say to someone, stick to it, that means you got a job to do. But when we say, cleave unto the Lord, we mean stick to Christ, be fastened to Him. There's, there's cleaveth fast in the Bible. You know, when, when the Bible uses the word fast, you've got to look at the context. Does it mean speed? Like we think of the word fast. Or does it mean fastened? To be stuck in a fastened way. And so that's the way we want to be stuck to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not leaving you. I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'll never leave you. Say it in your hearts and be committed to him like Barnabas taught us in this chapter. What's this chapter in the Bible for? Just for us to know about the transition of the gospel from Jerusalem to Antioch to the Gentiles. We want that 23rd verse who when he came and had seen the grace of God, and I have seen the grace of God in your lives, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, that in their hearts they would set the Lord first and that they would commit to never leave him. If I say to children, stick with me. My children have heard that. Stick with me. That means I'm crossing a street and I don't expect them to get more than 24 inches away from me or I'll rip their arm off. Excuse me. Get that eraser out again. Stick with me, meaning we're crossing a busy street and I want you right with me because I've got too many of you and we got to get across this street safely. If I say to my wife, stick with me, it tells her that there's a difficulty that I'm going through and I want her to endure that difficulty with me. When we say stick to Christ, it means to stay fastened to him, his apostolic gospel, his kingdom and his people. I'm exhorting you. I've seen the grace of God in most of your lives. And I'm exhorting you with purpose of heart. You'll cleave unto the Lord Amen. and never leave him and not let anything come between you and him and not let anything pry you away from him and that you'll tell him so and that you'll give him everything you have, every child, every relationship, every dollar, every cent, your time, your emotion, your energy, that you'll give it to him. They were called Christians. So how many Christians were there in the world at this time? 500. What was the world's population at this time? 50 million. So what do we have? Our 1% of 1%? Now how many Christians are there? 2.4 billion. Out of 7.8 billion. One third of the earth is Christian? No. But that's what the Almanac says. What's a Christian? They obviously don't know what a Christian is. What does the Bible say a Christian is? Well, let's go to verse 26. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first. In Antioch. What is a disciple? 
It's someone that likes to assemble and likes to be taught. They like to hear the preaching of God's word and they like to be where the other people gather to hear the preaching of God's word. And those kind of people get called Christians because those are disciples. Because a disciple wants to follow the master and following the master in the Bible is a teacher and a student, a teacher and a pupil relationship. And so the teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ through his mouthpieces called the apostles and they're preaching in Antioch of Syria and there are people that wanted to get together as often as those men got together to preach God's word and they were disciples and they were called Christians. Because when they got together, what did they hear preached over and over and over again? But Christ, Jesus, and him crucified. Right. If you were to go into this downtown Greenville or go into the Haywood Mall, if it's still open, shouldn't be, but maybe it is. If you were to go there and ask somebody, are you a Christian? In this town, half of them, three quarters of them are going to say, sure, I'm a Christian. But let's be these kind of Christians. Let's love our assemblies. Let's love the preaching of God's word. Let's love God's word. Let's love the object of God's word. Let's love the person of God's word. Let's love the testimony of God's word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ on the holy hill of Zion. The Son of God. It's very easy to be deceived by sin. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24, when iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Has your love waxed cold? Do you know how long it takes to revive it? Two seconds. One second to tell the Lord you're wrong and that you remember what you used to be and the next second to say, revive me again. Right. I am committed to you and I will never turn back. You are everything to me and you are all to me. Same thing, but just tell him any way you can think of. There was a very real threat. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. The parable of the sower describes three that couldn't do it weren't real disciples. So how'd you know to bring up Luke 8.18 today? Did we talk last night when I wasn't awake? Jerry brought up Luke 8.18 in the prayer room this morning. Take heed therefore how ye hear. Because right. I just brought up the parable of the sower. Jesus knew that when the gospel is sown, there's only a few that are going to stay there. Stay there, love the message, and go out and live it. And they were the real disciples, and they're the ones that are called Christians. Pure religion is to keep yourselves, one person at a time, one member at a time, unspotted from the world. Hurry with me so that I can close one minute over, or two minutes over. Look at Jude, please. Little, little epistle of Jude. Let me look, let's just look at another man's words, very comparable to Barnabas's words. Jude. We need each other in a church. Do you know why we're in a church together? We need each other. Right. To provoke each other unto love and to good works. And what's the most important love? The love of Christ. And that's why we're here today. That's why we're here. Much, much, much more could have been said and much, much, much more was prepared. But it, it, it isn't time that's going to do it. It's God's grace and your choice. Right. And all it takes is to realize you've slipped and that you want to recommit. I want to re-up in the Lord's army. I want to go fight your battles, Lord. And I know the battles start right in my own life. My own lusts, my own thoughts, my own habits, my own lack of habits. Help me, Lord. Jude, verse 19, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Notice there are some kinds of 
so-called Christians who separate themselves and leave and don't want to assemble. They're sensual. All they care about are the things of this life, having not the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God is all about Christ. That's what His ministry is. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves. Cleave unto the Lord. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You don't have to keep yourself in God's love for you. That is kept by God's faithfulness and the finished work of Jesus Christ. But you do have to keep yourself loving God. First of all, most of all, Lord, I know that your first commandment is to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love my neighbor as myself. Help me to do that. I've slipped from that. Jesus would tell the church at Ephesus, you have fallen from your first love. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Repent that you are no longer there and do the first works. Get excited about the Lord Jesus Christ again and do the first works. I'm glad to see the grace of God in many of your lives. I'm exhorting you today that with a purpose of heart, you will cleave unto the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that I introduced a long time ago, that you'll never leave him. That's all I have. Stand with me.